There's a famous story in my family of my sister, who's nine years younger than me, um, and uh, we were witness to her first lie. Uh, she was, I don't know how old she was, she was probably one or maybe 14 or 16 months old, and she was sitting in her baby chair at the table, and she was at the age where she was trying to, you know, use a spoon and eat her food herself. And um, when my mom said to her, have you eaten her peas, your peas? She took her bowl of peas and hid it behind her back and she said, yes. And uh, we thought it was all very cute, of course, but do you know that um, my father didn't miss the opportunity to explain to us that children are sinful and need to be forgiven. For children know how to lie. It comes naturally to them. And, uh, and so I want to ask you, have you ever told a lie? And if you say no, then perhaps that's the first lie that you've told. Well, at least today, at least. anyway. The check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. One size fits all. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I just need five minutes of your time. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Let's do lunch. Lies are all around us. A lie is speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. It is to practice deceit and falsehood by treachery of word or action. Uh, Winston Churchill called lies terminological inexactitudes. Friends, lying is a very powerful thing. It can forfeit a life or destroy a reputation. To commit perjury is considered a serious offense in most countries and is punishable under most legal systems. The phrase false testimony in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, means to say things that are untrue, it can also mean to be insincere, which really broadens the definition of lying, doesn't it? To being false as a person. Now, the original intent of the ninth commandment was not to not give false testimony in legal proceedings. Uh, and that actually has continued into our legal system today, for you now have to swear that you will tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So lying, first of all, notice that um, that statement assumes that there is such a thing as truth. That's a contradiction in our culture because there's lots of other places in our culture where there is no such thing as absolute truth until you walk into a court of law. Will you tell the truth? The whole truth, notice that uh, it's less than the truth to add to the truth or to embellish the truth. And nothing but the truth, it's less than the truth, of course, to subtract from the truth or to be economical with the truth. Um, Moses unpacks this commandment, uh, like the other commandments, later on in his first five books of the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, this is one application of uh, this commandment. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony 
against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party, you must purge the evil from among you. Very serious uh, to give false testimony. And the concern here in the, Deuteron- in the Deuteronomy verse was for the reputation of the other person and for the corporate structures of justice which depend on truthfulness and on truth-telling. It calls for a commitment to the truth from society. And so the negative is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Which means the positive is that God's saved people are to use speech truthfully and constructively. We are to so speak of others that their well-being is furthered and enhanced. Um, Why does this matter so much? It matters because, and the first heading this morning, God is truth. Now, if you've been here for uh, the Ten Commandments, you'll know that one of the great benefits of the Ten Commandments today um, is it reveals aspects of God's nature to us. The Ten Commandments have a revelatory function that they serve to show us what God is like and what God loves and what he prioritizes and values. We must remember that the significance of the commandments is that they arise out of the very nature of God himself. Don't murder because God is love. Don't commit adultery because God is faithful. Don't steal because God is a God who gives generously and is not a taker. Don't lie because God is truth. And let's think about that for a moment. It doesn't just mean that God is truthful. Of course, it does mean that, and the Bible is full of examples of God's words, we just sang it a moment ago, of God's words being truthful words. Whatever God says is true and right. Whatever God promises, he sticks to and he fulfills. And so it is true that God is truthful. But it it means more than that. It means that God is actually the very standard of truth against which all other truth is measured. Truth is not an external standard under which God is also judged and measured. God is the external standard of truth, and everything else is judged and measured against him. For he is incapable of untruth. Every word that falls from his mouth is true and trustworthy. 1 John chapter 5 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so can you see, it's not just saying that Jesus and God are truthful, but they are actually true. That is, they are the standard of truth. God is very different to us, for we are not the standard of truth. We need a standard of truth to be pointed to in order for us to be truthful and faithful in our speech. 
To be made in the image of God is to be part of a race that needs truth and depends on truth. Truth forms the basis for all human relationships. It's a very slippery concept in our culture today, of course, truth. But, you know, every time you attend a wedding, you are reminded that our society is built on and dependent upon speaking truth to one another. Marriage is based on not lying when you make your vows. It's a contract of words. To God, truth is sacred. The very character of God is trustworthiness. And so lying denies God's character and it denies the image of God imprinted on each of us. A community that lies is a community that cannot function. Marriage and any other contractual relationship can't operate where there are lies. And of course, whole professions have uh, developed to ensure that agreements between people are adhered to and that people keep their word. That's why we are a culture, aren't we, of contracts and legal agreements, and we need lots of contract lawyers to make sure that our words are enforced. If to be God is, be, is to be the very standard of truth, then secondly, to be human is to lie. Look at this devastating diagnosis of the human condition in Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Um, this verse is telling us that lying is intrinsic to us. It comes from our hearts. We must never be surprised when people tell us lies. Or when we tell lies. Uh, or when children lie because they do so by nature. We are natural born liars. It reveals our hearts and friends. It reveals our parentage. Um, it should surprise us when anybody tells the truth, not when anybody lies. You know, most people are conned by con artists because most people want to think that others are telling them the truth. And even though we know that human relationships can't work on the basis of lies, yet we all lie because it comes from within and from our hearts. We, we must accept the Bible's diagnosis of us this morning, as painful as it is. So lying is intrinsic, but lying is also extrinsic to us. There is a source of lying and deceit. It is the devil. The power that the devil exercises today is the power of deceit. If God is the father of truth, the devil is the father of lies. Listen to these verse, this verse from John 8, verse 44. It'll be on the screen. You belong to your father, the devil. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. No wonder they wanted to kill him. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It comes in an argument that Jesus is having with the Pharisees where they are claiming very proudly that Abraham is their father. And Jesus says to them, Abraham's not your father, the devil is your father. For you lie. When you lie, you show who your father is. 
we behave like the devil's children. That is, lying is not cute in a 14th month old. It is demonic. You know, the devil has no power unless you give it to him. And the way we give the devil power is we believe his lies about what we need, about what we ought to do. We give him the power that he is claiming falsely to have, and we become the liar that he wants us to be. He doesn't have power to drag people against their will. He just tells lies. And as you believe his lies, he gains power over you, like a con man who gets you to believe his con and part with your hard-earned cash. The minute you see through the lie, the con man is powerless. And it's the same with the devil. The minute you recognize that you're being lied to, then the power evaporates from the devil. Now, let me ask this question. Do you think that as a church we have a problem in this area? Don't answer that out loud. Do you know, the New Testament assumes that lying is a problem in the church and has something to say about it. And so we need to look at Ephesians chapter 4, a few verses from chapter 4. Verse 25, first of all. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Can you see that he's speaking to the Christian church there? He's not speaking to the pagans outside of the church. He's speaking to us this morning, for we are members of one body. And so we must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. He goes on in verse 29 where he unpacks this a little bit more. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. I want you to notice, oh, be kind and compassionate to one another. Here's the positive. Forgiving each other just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. Just go back, if you will, um, to verse uh, 30. I want you to notice what grieving the Holy Spirit of God is there. Can you see that it's in the context of, of speech and of truth-telling and of using language to, to break others down? Bitterness, rage, anger, slander, malice. It takes the form of speech. And if you go back to verse 29, please, just one verse back. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. It's, can you see that grieving the Holy Spirit comes in the context of how we speak to each other? I've had friends say to me, you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you don't speak in tongues in your church. That's the only place in the New Testament where we read about grieving the Holy Spirit. Will you be liberated by the fact that grieving the Holy Spirit means using your language for evil? That's what it means. That's the context. And so testifying falsely about other people when we slander or gossip or speak maliciously 
Very important, friends, for us to recognize that gossip and slander fall under the heading of this commandment. It's, it's often a problem in the church, gossip and slander. And, and I, I can understand why that is the case. We are interested in one another. We're interested in people, and therefore we are given to talk about people. But in our talking about people, it is easy to slip from truth to lies, isn't it? Or to assumptions, or to perceptions, or to assuming the worst, or to being suspicious of people's motives. It can easily go from a genuine interest in people to scoring points against one another. Uh, James has something to say about this in the context of the church as well. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so it is a danger for us as Christians this morning. We need to hear the ninth commandment. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful in how we speak about people. I remember watching a, a friend of mine uh, raising his children, and when one would come and tell on the other, he would, say, he would ask three questions of the child telling the tales. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it helpful? Number three, is it kind? Those are good questions to ask, aren't they? One day, um, his son came in. I was in the room and said um, his sister was called Katie. Katie is a pig. Is it true? No. Is it helpful? No. Is it kind? No. Don't ever say it again. Wise parenting. And of course, if this issue of gossip and slander is a problem at the church, it's an even bigger problem at work, school, and university. The office or the classroom is an obvious place for us as Christians to exhibit difference from others and to not be drawn in to speaking ill of others or engaging in gossip and slander. Gossip, by the way, is saying true things about people behind their back. Slander is saying false things about people behind their back. Both are outlawed in the Bible. Interesting. Even if it's true, don't say it behind the person's back. We must be different to the world in this area, brothers and sisters. In our speech, we must exhibit something different to how the pagans live. Or how will they believe us when we tell them about Jesus if there is no difference between us and them in our speech in other areas? The book of Proverbs is a wonderful book um, on lots of different subjects, and it's got lots to say about speech. <clears throat> I just want to show you three quick verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. 
See the danger of speech? The power of speech. And chapter 26 and verse 20 of Proverbs, without wood a fire goes out, without a gossip a quarrel dies down. These verses that come in the wisdom literature in Proverbs really are applications of the commandment that we've looked at this morning. And so our speech matters to God and it should matter to us. We are to lift others up by our speech, not pull them down, which is prideful and malicious. I take it that includes exaggeration and overstatement and the refusal to see any good in those with whom we disagree. It'll include half-truths and misleading silences. It refers also to that which is worthless, useless, and unfounded. And I think it refers actually to crude and coarse joking and swearing and flattery and hasty words. We are to be measured and thoughtful and helpful in our speech. And we can be guilty, can't we, of lying by remaining silent. To remain quiet when the character of someone is being slandered or when motives are being questioned or when some, the worst is being assumed of someone. False testimony can take many forms. And remember, it's in our hearts. And so thirdly, we need forgiveness. Let's admit that our words have often lacked integrity. Let's agree with the apostle when he assesses human nature in Romans chapter 3. Look at what he says in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Uh, all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I think verse 12 is the least believed verse in the whole Bible. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then he applies it to speech, verse 13. Their, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. That is who we are. We call them white lies. We don't think that they're that serious. Yet the Bible makes no distinction between murder and lying. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Can you see that hands that shed innocent blood, murder, is in the same grouping as lying. And pride, that's what haughty eyes means, pride as well. God hates a lying tongue. Can we just take that on board this morning? These are serious matters for what God hates, must, we must take seriously. Very, very strong language. And yet today we can be forgiven. Jesus dies to forgive our lies, our falsehoods. It is striking that Jesus died because of false testimony against him in his trials. In that case, lying literally led to murder. 
But, but although that is a travesty of justice that we can, you know, we can look at that and go, that was terrible, let's remember that Jesus' death was caused not only by those false witnesses at his trials, but our lies put him on the cross. He died for our lies. We're not better than the chief priests who lied about Jesus. Your lies and my lies, our falsehood, is what put Jesus on the cross. And because of that, we can be forgiven for bearing false testimony and for failing to speak truth. Have you been forgiven for that? For the failings of your speech and for the lying of your heart? Today is a good day for you to come and ask to be forgiven for your failure in your speech by the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves to forgive and is quick to show grace. And then once we are forgiven, we become conscious by the work of the Holy Spirit in us that God's people are a people of truth. That we are to tell the truth, defend the truth, discern the truth, and stand for the truth in a world that is eroding the truth day by day. We live in a world that hates truth. The world hates the truth about God and the truth about themselves. The truth about the gospel is ridiculed and disbelieved and subverted. In that world, we are called to uphold the truth, even if the whole world disbelieves, even if the whole world hates us, even if the whole world wants to close our mouths. We are called to stand up for the truth by being people of the truth, who speak the truth and who live the truth and who model truth in our speech as we live our lives. For we are the people of the truth for one single and irreducible reason. Our God is true and the gospel is true. Let's keep believing it. Let's keep living it. And brothers and sisters, Holiday Club, let's keep holding it out to others and inviting them to come and hear it. Now will you bow with me as we pray. Father, please would you help us to be men and women of the truth. We thank you that you are true and trustworthy and that what you have said stands and holds today. And we confess to you, Lord, that we often are given to falsehood in one way or another. Thank you for the forgiveness that comes from trusting in your dear Son, our true shepherd, who died for our sins and rose for eternal life. And we pray that you would help us to be fearless in speaking the truth into a world full of lies. And we pray these things for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.